Hello and welcome to the Beer Vulnerabilist Beer Podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is no fewer, better things. All right, Albert, it is a pleasure to see you here in the new year. Uh, it is uh, our first show of the year here. Um, we're taping this a little bit early, but um, I'm excited because uh, this is the third uh, calendar year that we've been on the air. So we got 19, 20, and 21. Uh, we've been uh, not on the air for three years, but uh, I'm, I'm taking that little uh, <laughs> th- that win there. Um, and I'm just excited that uh, we're we're still going strong. It's a fresh start to the year, and uh, we're doing it. So, how are you up there in Upstate, man? Uh, same, uh, excited. Um, can't believe it's uh, nine and a half months now that we've been here. We're calling it the world's longest long weekend. Um, that we came up thinking it was for the weekend and stayed the entire time. And uh, who knows? I mean, this is the year that the entire world can change again. So we all know what happened last time. The whole world changed. It'd be kind of nice if this time when the world changes uh, completely that we step into a, a very different reality and an easier time for everybody. Let's face it, last year was last year was a beast. It really was. There's just no polite way to put it. It kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I've kind of been feeling the change. Um, you know, it's kind of been ramping up. And I think, you know, from, you know, t- November, December, it's kind of slowly been a little bit hopeful. Um, and you know, you kind of feel that, that tide of change in you. And, uh, I think this year is really going to be a a standout year. Um, you know, all the forecasters are still, you know, Oh, what's going on with the economy? What's going to go on with their health? But you know what? I think that one thing that's, that's going to be, be great is that we're really going to try to, uh, come together this year and, and work some things out. So that's my, uh, my hope for this year is, uh, making things work. (laughs) Well, I second that. I think, uh, 2020 revealed, so many things about where the stresses are in our society, the areas that we really needed to work on, the, the places that really were storing up uh, tension and, and, and falsity and a lot of the, the weaknesses of, of different, you know, look, particularly here in America, we saw with the election, just incredible. It was, it was just a very, very dramatic time with a, a lot of people confronting a lot of really serious issues. We had all kinds of racial things that have not fully been resolved. So, so it's all there. We've exposed it a bit and it'd be kind of nice to, to spend some time in 2021 cleaning up, cleaning it up, freshening it up and, and t- taking on a whole new, a whole new set of, of things that, that, you know, might, might make us a lot happier. It's like time for it. Yeah. I usually don't get into the whole, uh, new year, new me thing, but honestly, uh, looking back at, at 2020, I, I just want to be a totally different person in like a totally different place because uh, it was just so intense. And um, I don't know, I'm just looking forward to all, all the positive. I'm looking forward to all the positivity uh, of this year because I think uh, it, it's coming. You know, the, the storm was there and I think the aftermath of it is going to be actually a good thing. Um, and I think it's a lot of time for healing. Well, I love the language you're using and it's, it's actually a great segue and introduction to our guest today who really his um, story is about a little, a bit of a a rebirth that happened for himself after a really tough time, how he just kind of took the bull by the horns and addressed it. 
So um, it's kind of a good New Year's story, a new start, fresh start. And uh, we're going to introduce our guest, and then I'll tell you a little bit about how he came about to be our guest. Gal Mandel was born in Haifa, Israel, and lived in a town north of it called Kirat Matzkin for his early life. Gal then served his four years in the army and then moved to Tel Aviv for his bachelor's in East Asian studies. He is currently studying for his master's in that same field. Gal's biggest hobby is being a classical musician. He's been playing the oboe for over 14 years and currently plays in the Tel Aviv University wind band, hence his handle of traveling oboe guy. Along with his passion of music, Gal enjoys street photography and heritage clothing. Gal, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Hi, thank you for hosting me. Hi, you're very welcome, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure having you here from Israel. So that's a, a big thing for me. So I'm uh, I'm celebrating. Um, I've actually been to Haifa and I've gotten to to tour the country on birthright. So uh, it's fun. It's exciting. Um, I get to to meet someone from Israel again. So thank you. This is our first guest from Israel, right? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh man, so Albert, yeah, you. I know you and Gal had some some back and forth before this, and uh, you sent me his story in the post, and um, I was just, you know, uh, it's one of those things that you read that you know you kind of have have that moment. Um, but what really what really struck it on there for you? Well, the, so this is great because Gal and I did speak um, earlier in the week, and so this is our second conversation in a week, which is great. Um, you know how it is on on uh, Instagram people uh, that you connect with, you don't necessarily connect enough, frequently enough to really get to know each other and you kind of fall out of touch again. So we got in touch basically just whenever I see anybody in my feed um, or anyone that I come across who's involved with classical music at all, I'm curious. Uh, there's not that many people who have that, that, uh, those two subsets overlapping of interest in men's heritage wear clothing and passion for Beethoven. I just haven't met that many yet, but they do exist. So anyway, I just loved seeing this guy called Traveling Oboe. I can't remember who liked whose photo first, but we started talking and I learned what uh, Gal did. And I was just like, this is so cool. We fell out of, uh, fell out of touch. And then one morning, I think he may have tagged me on the post, but the, the post is from uh, earlier, it's December 6th. And he's looking right into the camera and just kind of hits you right between the eyes with, hello, um, I'll just read uh, where how it starts. He says, I've been dealing with depression for more than seven months, not related to COVID-19, but many more issues. It reached the peak last July, and in August, I decided to come out with telling I'm suffering from depression. Um, then he goes on to say, I won. I feel better. My life became much more balanced. I'm happier, and overall, I'm a better version of myself. I could not believe uh, this. I'll smile again, enjoy music as I did before with a huge help from my friends and family. And it it goes on, and it's it's quite beautiful. But at the end, he really really hits me between the eyes when he quotes some uh, lines that are sung in Mahler's second symphony, which has got the nickname Resurrection Symphony. And he, he quotes the, the symphony, rise again, yes, rise again. Gal's like looking, he's probably relieved I'm not going to sing it. Uh, will you be my heart in an instant, that for which you have suffered to God will carry you. So this hit me on a personal level too, because I um, connect so much, I connect music so much with my own life experience. 
So I had already felt a connection with Gal. And then I read this post and I'm like, wow, we have a lot more in common than I realized. So I immediately um, uh, texted him and we, we went back and forth a bit and then talked. And when the more I heard the story, I thought, would love for him to talk us through what happened. And he, he talked me through it. Now I want, I want him to go in a little bit more detail and, and tell you his story. So, so Gal, tell us a little bit about what precipitated this post. I felt like there's need to be a word out there that I suffered from depression. And even though it's not like a long one and not what you call clinical depression, uh, it was important to me to tell it because I felt that Instagram and social network always makes you show your best. And life's best and traveling and happy and like doing a boomerang with his, uh, shots and whatever. And it, it's kind of empty. So I wanted to tell something truly honest um, because not many people knew that I suffered from depression, not some of my closest friends. It was mostly my family, um, and yeah, I, I felt like the first post actually was only in Hebrew, because it was like the, back then in um, mid-August, um, I, I wrote it only in Hebrew because I said, well, I'll deal with international friends later, but first let's talk with locals, um, because it's real, and I just felt so relieved after um, writing about it because it was a big thing. I mean, with all uh, toxic masculinity all over the place, uh, you're not allowed to talk about your feelings. You're not supposed to show uh, weakness. And I just said, fuck it. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, uh, beep. Uh, uh, <laughs> and I just said, okay, I, I'm just going to be yep. very honest about it because that's life. Life is not only good stuff. And who said that talking about your feelings is not good? So whatever. So so growing up, did would you say that you lived in a family where speaking up about your feelings was kind of more than normal? Or was it not easy uh, growing up for you to say how you felt about things? I think that what happened is mostly like what happened uh, in most of teenage uh, years in the world. When you're a kid, it's much easier to talk about your feelings. And then you go to this phase of being in high school. And like one of the earliest podcasts that you said, it was like high school is a torture chamber. And you're, you're um, learning to close yourself up. And I felt that the same way. Um, when I was in high school, it was very difficult to me to talk about my feelings, um, all over the place, not only with my family. And then you're going to the army. It's mandatory here, unfortunately. Um, and also we are supposed to show how you're the alpha male. Don't show weakness because that's life. You need, you have problems, just solve them with yourself. Um, if it's personal issues, by all means, keep it with 
with your mind and don't show it up. Um, and it kind of hits you when you deal with something that's big. Um, just you can't. You find that you can just really um, release your emotions properly. And it takes time and measurable um, power to do that. So, so take us to that moment then where things started to really change in your, in your inner life. You were busy. You were in school, right? You were studying East Asian studies, which will be fun to talk about a little bit in a little more detail later. Um, when, when did you begin to feel that things were starting to get a little bit hard for you to, to sort through and, and be beginning this process of feeling, hey, I'm not feeling myself. What, what, what started all that? So it kind of hit me late that I suffer from depression. I didn't know it's, that's, that is. Um, but nowadays I know that the trigger for it was my first breakup a year ago from a girlfriend. Um, we lived together and it was super fast. Um, and then I understood it was an abusive relationship. Uh, not physically or sexually or something like this, but mental abusive relationship. And it hit me late, very late. Um, like one of the times, it's a story that I didn't know that I will tell, but yeah, sure. Uh, so last year I've been to Japan with one of uh, my buddies from university. And actually, we, it was like a day that we um, got back from a trip in Kojima in the Jin Street. And it was a tiresome day, and I just wanted to go to sleep. And my girlfriend back then um, called me. It was about 1 a.m. And she said that she's going to commit suicide that evening. And I'm the only one to know. And that's it. And I spent, I think, two hours on the phone with her, um, talking to her, and just, I, I couldn't know what to do. And eventually, just, it, it ended well, but um, I didn't tell my body that it happened. Um, I tried to wake up at night as um, quietly as possible and get out of the room and going to the kitchen in the hostel that we stayed in. And I didn't talk about him, about it, the whole trip. Had you, in the time that you had been her, uh, with her, had she exhibited like serious uh, psychological issues or any hint that she had a tendency towards, towards you know, thinking about suicide? Yeah, a couple of times. Um, oh. She had a uh, history and background with uh, mental issues, uh, which I knew only after we moved together. Um, and from that moment on, when we moved together, it was just a horrible roller coaster. Um, one night I got up because um, I heard noise in the kitchen to find out that she uh, used her razor to cut herself. Um, when I tried to stay with her uh, in, in the night, she just um, she just sent me off 
go to bed, everything is fine. And later in the morning, she just said to me that it's all because of me, because I don't understand her. Um, it, it, it went just horrible. I, I felt um, horrible in this relationship. And later on, I started to develop some uh, drinking problems as well. I would usually um, wake up somewhere at 3 a.m., uh, reach to the nearest alcohol that I had in the house and just drank. One evening that it happened, I finished myself half a bottle of gin um, and just stayed hungover on the bed like the day afterwards. Um, and the worst thing that you have in mind is that I thought to myself, it's fine. Maybe relationships are, are difficult and I won't get any better than that, so I need to adapt. And thank God that one weekend after that, uh, she came with me to my parents and my mother just, bam, immediately said, you know, you need to finish it. Just cut it out of your life. You don't need it. And she just saw right through it. I didn't need to talk about anything. And I am so, um, so thankful that I have my mother in my life since she just moved through it. She, she, she saw through it and just pulled me out immediately. Wow. I mean, that's, that's sort of a classic situation of uh, abuse between two people changes dramatically when there's a third person uh, who's observing it ob objectively in some form or has awareness of it. It's like, it's like that bond, that secretiveness of, of the abuse in the abusive relationship where a person who's being abusive, it is kind of asking the person they're abusing to be part of this, this really dark pact. Don't tell, don't tell anyone that you've hit me or don't tell me anyone that I don't tell anyone that I drink or that I've, in some cases, molested you. I mean, this is the classic thing of someone saying, don't tell anybody. So um, it reflect, it's a little reflective of, of that where your mom, your mom provided the light in the situation that you could not provide on, on your own. And God, you know, just God bless her for, for doing it and that you, um, that you were able to, to, to have that uh, come in. That, was that the point where she said, you really should, to, should talk to somebody? No, that was later on, because at that time I felt okay, and it, it just went by, and I didn't really think about it later on, And um, but things happened as well during this year, and I worked in the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Israel. And in January, my boss, who is a total bitch, told me that I'm going to be fired in um, in late June because you, you because it's a ministry thing. You need to tell it in advance. And she didn't say why. Um, you're just going to be fired uh, without hearing, without anything. I said, did I do something wrong? And did did I just fuck my work? And no. And. That was another hammer to the face, basically. 
And once again, I was fine. I was just, okay, I'll, I'll deal with it later on and everything is going to be fine. So we're already at this point, we're also halfway through. I mean, this is like the first several months of COVID. You're talking maybe five, depending yeah. on when, it, when you figure it starts. So there's, there's the pressure of that as well. I'm sure it uh, created other, other stresses that were going on in your life. But you're, let's face it, you're getting hit with some serious changes and, 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 and uh, impact. So, so t- can continue, tell us more. Yeah, so um, somewhere about March, I started dating another girl. And once again, this relationship was horrible by any means. Um, not abusive, but not good. And as if she was waiting for the most horrible time to break up with me, um, it was like a couple of days after I was fired and without a job. So I told her that I'm in a big mess and then I, I felt horrible about the job. And then she break, broke up with me and that was the breaking point. And... That was a what was a uh, telling Albert like in in the weekend. Um, it was like in the um, family dinner on Friday. Um, my father and my mother and my brother and his uh, girlfriend. And I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm fine." I um, okay. A moment of background story, I make uh, homebrew beer at my home, so sometimes it fails horribly. That was one of those uh, times that I just opened the, the bottle and just the, the carbonation was going nuts and spilled everything. And in the first time in my life, in a family dinner, I was like, fuck and just got up the table and went to my room because I just couldn't bear it anymore. And that was the moment when my mother said to me, look, you're in a bad situation. Unfortunately, I can't do anything to help you and you need to go to see a professional. And she encouraged me to to go help myself with that. Um, And once again, I'm so thankful for that because... I don't know where I've been, if not that uh, moment exactly. Did you did you fight uh, her at first and resist what she was telling you, or did you say, you know, mom, you're right? I think, like for the first time in my life, I just said, okay, you're right, because I felt like I'm no longer the the teenage kid that she thought of me, and like talking to me as an adult man. And who's also her son? Um, but yeah, she she just. I said, you know what? You're right. Like in in the beginning, I had like a second that really I need to go to see a therapist. It's it's condemned to be like super um, strange to go to a therapist. But yeah, I, I just did it. Before we talk about about that experience, can we just go back for one second? And and tell us a little bit about those two relationships with, with these with these women. What did you feel, um, or do you understand now, looking back, the, a little bit about the dynamic of of those relationships? Did you do you feel in any way that you 
uh, had a kind of personality with, especially with the first uh, girl, a, a personality, a, a tendency towards wanting to help someone who was troubled. Was there any of that dynamic going on? Were you trying to felt any way that you were deliberately trying to save somebody? What? Tell us a little bit about your understanding of your dynamic of your those two relationships with these women. Well, with the second relationship, I can't really tell because it was just. I just rather not talk about it because it was really not serious enough, apparently. But um, with the first one, I just felt that if I'm stepping out of that door, um, something is bad going to happen. And it's like entirely my fault if something will happen. And I think that was like the... The, the moment that, that I understood that it was abusive, that something that's not really my fault, if it's going to be my fault, then yeah, it, 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 I just understood that it's going to be a very bad thing if I won't cut it short. And But yeah, I felt like I need to stay there because A, that will happen and something bad and I can't have it on my conscience. And also because I truly believe that it's fine back then and that's normal and every re relationship has like ups and downs though mine was a strike of downs um, so yeah it, it was like I, I felt that I, I'm responsible there if something will happen that I think what made me stay for quite a long time. Even though it was short time overall, it was less than six months. Yeah, I mean, relationships are, you know, uh, sometimes really, really amazing, sometimes really, really tough. Um, it's, it's again, it's just a, another one of those double-edged swords that we have um, in our life. Um, I have a coworker who's, you know, in, in his words, been trying to break up with his girlfriend for like two years. Um, and, you know, I've heard a lot of those parallels, uh, in his story of, you know, Hey, we need to do this, but ultimately it was, um, kind of like the responsibility of my life is in your hands. Um, and that's kind of where I, I see the line being drawn and it comes to the point of being, okay, let's, let's be healthy and let's compliment each other to, um, I need you to do my life for me, um, to, to make sure I live. And when that kind of buck is passed um, and that, you know, responsibility is transferred, I think that's when it kind of dips into the the toxic level and uh, isn't healthy for anyone. Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, we hear these stories of, of really bad relationships, um, but we don't always hear the, the end story because it's always kind of like in the thick of it, like, oh, I'm, I'm wrestling with this and who knows what's going to happen next week. Um, so, hearing the other side of it kind of gives me hope for, you know, other people much like my coworker and just like there, there is life beyond a bad relationship and there is, um, you know, things to be had beyond that. And, um, just being in that moment where it's like, Hey, this isn't good for me. Um, it's hard because of the relationship, the time you spent, um, what you've invested in each other to really cut it off and just say, that's it. 
So I, I want to say, you know, Ema for the win, your mom definitely helped out and uh, <laughs> got that going. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it does take us like an outside perspective to really give you, you know, that clarity as to like, hey, maybe I should make a better decision for myself. Um, and then when you get that outside clarity with, you know, a therapist, professional, wherever you um, want to go for that, that can really, you know, send you on a, you know, a new path and a new trajectory that is very, very healthy. Um, so whenever you did eventually see, you know, a professional, um, you mentioned before, like a little bit of stigma, you know, who does this, um, how, like, how is your feeling like going into the first time, um, and then kind of like continuing your sessions and, you know, kind of graduating from it. So the first meeting was like, I was trying to be the alpha male in the room though I was in my lowest point, I wasn't really um, trusting the therapist at the time and very much like, um, yeah, just let, let's get this done with. I just need like a few meetings and it'll be fine. And as I progressed with the meetings and the sessions, I just, oh, fuck, it's like super intense because the more you um, peel off from the surface, the more you see that you need to fix things. And as it's as the session progressed, I felt like I'm more um, okay with talking with my, about my feelings. And I think it was like after the third um, session that I posted the first um, Hebrew post about my uh, my depression, and and yeah, I think uh, right now I'm just more okay with um, saying that yeah, I see a therapist. It's not something that I scared of. It's there is nothing about the stigma because hey, I, I'm. I'm a functioning man with a job, with my studies, and, and I see a therapist, by the way. It, it, it's just like having any other um, issue. Man. One thing you said was, um, you know, you came in there and you, you were kind of, uh, you know, on edge. You are being the alpha male and stuff like that. One parallel that, you know, I found with a lot of pain is the, the more down you feel, the more, you know, hurt. Um, you know, kind of if you're, you're down there, the more you kind of project yourself up and, you know, trying to feel, feel better, feel different. Um, but it's a very much a facade. Do you think that, you know, while you're able to, to speak with that, you kind of, you know, broke down that facade and you're showing your true colors now, do you feel more yourself or do you feel like a whole another person? I think that um, what happened during the sessions was the uh, breaking of this facade, actually, because it's like once again, it's go back to to high school, the military. You build like a facade that some someone who's very strong. And Albert probably know that for musicians, we put our hearts on our sleeves. Um, and also Adam, you probably know it because you're a musician too. I, I always forget about it. Um, but it's like it's it's over there, and then you just hide it. You, you can't hide your true nature, and it just took a bit of work to um, to break this facade because 
it's it, it had to be done and because also with my um, job in the ministry I felt like I need to be strong because I'm around very um, high-ranked people and just you know sh- show some strength because that's the the corporate world and everything like that and you build you build those walls and 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 getting out of these um, walls is very difficult and once i stepped out it was like i felt 16 again just right before um horrible um high school period um but yeah it felt like being me again that's what i also talked about in my post i felt like i'm my old self but better now that that uh transition from late mid to late teens into into your adulthood um it's rather traumatic it's incredible how much pressure is put on you to fit into whatever role that various people in your life think that you belong in. You're, you get social pressure from big picture forces. You get individual pressures from family who have expectations, your best friends, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, whatever. Um, and you're inexperienced. I mean, this is one of the things I really want to emphasize with this chat is a lot of the people we've talked to so far are like, older they're they're a little bit older that maybe 10 even 10 years older and you're in your mid-20s now and i'm first of all i'm so impressed that your your the way that you're carrying yourself with the kind of um the calm that you have about discussing such an intense experience in your life i think for your for for a younger man so to speak you know you're just showing kind of a very wise older sort of sense of perspective and i just i just come really commend you for that but you're also emphasizing that part of the troubles that we have in our life is that we we learn through our pain we learn through these very very difficult situations and they are the things that give us character but when they're happening they can be overwhelming and i think that's a really important message um i haven't told adam this i I wanted to do uh, i was going to tell adam i want to do more shows where we talk to younger people about the pressures that they're feeling because what they do lack is their own life perspective. You know, if you go now 10 years from now and you meet a woman that you're dating, if, presuming you're not married with three kids or whatever by then, um, you're going to recognize the pattern. You're going to see early, probably on your own earlier on that you have a person in your life who maybe is being abusive and that you're probably going to act really, really differently. But the, but earlier in your life, you have no you have nothing to compare it to. You kept using that phrase. You thought it was normal to have someone putting you through this intense experience. I mean, what she set up with you is one of the most in- intense things you could ever do to another human being. I'm threatening to harm myself if you don't treat me a certain way. I, I you could call it what you want. It's manipulative. It's 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 bad it's nasty but it's also she clearly was a person in a great deal of pain who is acting out in a very dramatic fashion trying to get you to behave a certain way so um i just want to just say i'm sure it's something that you're 
your uh, therapist has said to you, just your strength coming through that was pretty, pretty damn amazing. That was not, that was a, a uniquely intense uh, early, I don't know how many girlfriends you had before that one or serious girlfriends, but that was a very intense kind of first really dramatic uh, you know, relationship. That that was a pretty pretty intense one to be the first. Was it your first? Was that really kind of your first big serious relationship? The first like very serious one. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm just completely blown away and impressed with how much you processed so quickly. and also like uh, i just want to say like to the audience like that also in the 20s don't think that you're strong uh, to deal with things yourself you're strong but just ask for help it's not a shame it's not something that you need to hide from if you can't if you don't have the, the emotional tools to do that just talk to someone talk to your barber your your parents your friends your dog i don't know talk to someone because it helps. Definitely. And, you know, that's, I mean, <laughs> Eric said that, I mean, so many people have, have said that recently and, you know, it's, it's a very big theme is asking for help. Um, and, you know, pr prior to this, um, you know, be on our show of just, we, we were speaking with some couples, um, a few weeks ago and one of the big parts of it was, you know, I was saying the, the first step of really asking or confronting kind of a, a hard topic is generally the toughest part. Um, and once you kind of started getting the ball rolling, you built that momentum um, and, you know, eventually led to your resiliency and kind of bouncing back. And, you know, resiliency, I, you know, is something that everyone kind of talks about it, you know, in between business, personal, professional life, stuff like that. But when you really get to, to experience it and see yourself like, man, I was in a tough spot, you know, four or five years ago, whatever, uh, six months ago, now I'm, I'm back. You know, I think, you know, Albert's really big into shouting out a lot of things. I think shouting out that moment of coming back, you know, after you've gotten on the horse, after you've, you know, um, you know, kind of had that stumble and now you're kind of riding strong. I think that's something equally to celebrate and, uh, also kind of normalize because we've normalized this, you know, kind of, uh, alpha male, this toxic masculinity, this be strong and deal with everything on your own until you, you know, either explode or just silently implode. Um, it, it's, it's tough to really, you know, celebrate that, Hey, I was in a bad place. Now I'm, now I'm, you know, in a better place. And I think that journey, um, needs to be just as normalized and just talked about as much as anything else. It's like celebrate your, your, your being strong. I mean, how many times that you get to um, to celebrate getting back to be strong? Because, I mean, in high school, nobody would go to say, oh, yeah, um, this guy failed the test and now he just passed it. Let's celebrate. No, it's, it, it won't happen. They will always celebrate those who are always uh, successful. Um, and in your adult life, you can, you can celebrate your being stronger by... Uh, overcoming difficulties and that's one of the most important things that you can do because the the amount of feedback that i got after these posts was amazing and i can't thank enough to people that helped me along the way i want i want to jump in here um, mention another thing because 
we are at a, a really uh, unique historical time because of this pandemic. The, um, the, the, the stress on our mental lives is, is uh, really, really serious. And one of the things that we didn't talk about yet was um, you talked about re this relationship, but there was the job uh, change, losing a job. There were other disruptors as well. You, re you uh, moved back in with your family. Uh, you were no longer able to make music at the at the university band. I mean, made all those sustaining and incur, uh, you know a lot of the sustaining activity of making music in a group was deprived from you. So you know, I'm I'm really kind of wanting to go out there to a lot of people who are listening and make them realize that this disruption is it it this that we've had with the pandemic is more thorough and more it, it's more onerous and and uh, then we realize sometimes because sometimes we we recognize the big things that have changed and but though we don't realize that it's a lot of the little things the day-to-day -day, um the day-to-day -day, uh routines um suddenly you're not going to the gym i mean i'm looking at my life like every single thing i did nine months ago when i moved to this house i don't do anymore i went to the gym I went to uh, this bar that I'm uh, invested in that and entertaining my friends three times a week. I am not entertaining friends three times a week. That's going to change my attitude about life. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm emphasizing this point extra because for anybody who's listening to understand um, this is a particularly important time to reach out to other people, to, to not be afraid of this, of this, um, these challenges and to admit that you're that you're feeling a little bit under it all because um you know uh, none of us could have prepared for this and none of us none of us really understand the, the fullness of the impact because we're still living it we're living it in the moment um it takes us to to i, I want to talk a little bit about music um, so do i <laughs> wow you <laughs> you and i really wow do we share some serious uh, uh serious musical overlap yeah, I mean, the, fir the first time that I understood how much I'm impressed with you was the moment that you told me that you worked with, uh, with Alan. And for me... We're talking Alan, Alan Gilbert, the former music director of the New York Philharmonic, who is now at, in, in Hamburg at the Elbe Philharmonie. He's the music director there. And yeah, he's been uh, a client of mine for 20 years. And I was just blown away. And then you told me that you met um, Leonard, Leonard Bernstein. And I was like... Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, that—that's an amazing experience, I guess. It was pretty amazing, and this is our our tie. You and I have this tie now. Um, it was hearing a performance of Mahler's Resurrection Symphony, the New York Philharmonic, in 1986, that completely changed my life. I was working in journalism. I heard a performance that was the greatest experience I've ever had listening to a piece of music or any any artistic experience. I've never seen an audience lose their minds with excitement like I saw that night. And suddenly that Mahler too uh, is appearing in your feed and you're quoting a line from it. And and I, it's been a long time since I've seen anybody quoting Mahler in a feed. So the next day after your this post that I saw, uh, you posted a second post about music and you mentioned Mahler three this time, which is the, the piece he wrote next, which you wrote beautiful words to describe it. It is my very favorite piece. That is my, my ritual piece. Every first day of summer, I listen to it. It's my recharging ritual. 
Um, and there it was in your, your second post. And then Beethoven's seventh. Beethoven's seventh was the first symphony I fell in love with and made me interested in music. So you, basically you ticked every single box, my three pieces that completely changed my life. And you mentioned them. And it's like, that's got to say something uh, about the connection um, that, that people can make in this world. Um, we both, I mean, the words that you used to describe the pieces, I was like, wow, that's exactly right. So I want to thank you. Just the pleasure that you gave me describing music in a way that really resonated with me. And uh, I, I just know now we're going to have a lot more talks about music. I'm really excited about that. Sure. I mean, I just copied your work with the Monday Mokto uh, playlist. So I, I just, I, I had to because it, it, made, it made me feel so good to read your posts. And I said, hey, what the hell, let's do that. Um, and yeah, Beethoven for me is like a very close connection, especially because like two years ago I played in a symphony in France and we played Beethoven's uh, first, one of his earliest um, works, I guess. And it was actually, um, I went there a week after my grandfather died and passed away. And, you know, in the last concert, something happened to me and, and I didn't share with anyone, actually. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's a first. Um, when we finished, like, the, the last movement and I just thought to myself, I, I felt my grandfather with me and I said, hey, we, we've done it. Thank you. We've done it. And yeah, so Beethoven is a very close connection to me because of that. And yeah, Mahler as well. It's like the Resurrection Symphony is like one of those um, pieces that I need to hear to feel better when you're down and, and you need just a bit of lifting. So um, yeah, the finale in Mahler second symphony is just, that's the spot. And also the third, I mean, as I said, it, it's uplifting. It's something bigger than life. Um, that's Mahler for me. Well, he's such a perfect composer for folks like us. Um, he's taking the whole ride of life. That's what he said with his third symphony. The symphony must be, like the world, it must embrace everything. And in Mahler, um, you have everything from the most banal music, um, things that he, street music he heard and, and a klezmer band and you name it, whatever, all these varied things that he heard uh, along with like really lofty philosophical ideas. And he synthesized it all and said, this is all of life that you can't have one without the other. And my God, that's what really all the stories are that we share with each other. Uh, the, the sort of inextricable nature of of uh, human experience that the, the good, the bad, the struggle, the overcoming the struggle. I mean, you can't overcome, you can't rise without falling. I mean, that's kind of by definition, it's sort of a definition. You don't, you can't just keep moving up. There's, there's going to be forces that, that, that bring you down. We'll say your, your traveling oboe uh, guy is your handle Obviously, Mahler and Beethoven both wrote amazing melodies for oboe. I mean, my God, the the Seventh Symphony is like that's the great star bust out in the first in the first movement is the great oboes. I can't even imagine 
what that must be like for you uh, to be able to play the music, not just to listen and enjoy it. That's just well, to me. That's to really play it, awesome. it's going to be like super intense and scary because uh, uh, that's me. And people that don't know, I guess not many people know, but um, oboists are very punctual and stressed about everything. So to play like the best way that you can, it's like super intense. I remember that um, my first um, experience in a symphony, it was in San Diego in 2011. I was only 17, the first time that I traveled alone by myself to the US. And I had to play the, um, the Egmont Overture from Beethoven, Beethoven again. Um, it, it's just there. Um, and there is like a single note in the beginning that I had to play amazingly and very in tune. And I could not, during rehearsal, put the, the reed in my mouth to play. I was so scared. It, it took me quite a lot of time to, to think that, okay, I need to play it. So just let's play it. And it's, and it's ever since, like with every piece, no matter what, it, it's the same. Playing it at first, like on stage, it's super scary. And yeah, it, it never uh, ends, but that, that's life. I mean, always struggle and then you succeed. Well, here's another amazing confluence uh, we're taping this show a couple of days before Beethoven's 250th birthday. So, uh, my goodness, we have a lot of connections. But look, look at Beethoven. Uh, the man had, you could not have had more things to face in life. Losing your hearing as a composer. He had terrible health. He had terrible times with women. Uh, he was a, just a, basically a very isolated human being. And his music is just all about uplift and it's about, and it's about basically triumphing um, over adversity. That's really what the essence of what Beethoven's all about. So he's kind of our patron, our patron saint in some way and, and our deep connection. And, and I think for the world that we're in, um, he's kind of a, a, a place that we can turn and, and just say that we are able in the face of just incredible, incredible, uh, adversity to choose joy. That's really what Beethoven did. Beethoven found actually in friendship. Uh, people don't really realize just how much Beethoven and, and it was a, it was a thing in 19th century culture that that friendship was was given and um, uh, just an incredibly passionate focus of people's life and activities. I mean, when you didn't when you didn't have cable TV and video games. Uh, if you wanted to have a thrill ride, you had to get it in real time with real people. So there was a uh, a, a connection that people felt um, that I, I think that's really what music can do to us is remind us of that because uh, you play in an orchestra, it's all acoustic. There's no electricity for the most part. Obviously, there are works that use electronic music, but you guys just come together and using your own abilities, you create tones, the tones come together. And then suddenly you tell stories. So, you know, musicians will, will, will always be my heroes. I also think that the pandemic made very clear um, Beethoven's will, let's say, in the Ninth uh, Symphony. Alle Menschen werden Bruder. Every man becomes brother. All men of the world uniting. And it's a beautiful thing because struggling together made it probably less horrible than it is. 
and also the, this podcast that unites people from every corner to, to talk about their problems and, and how they succeeded with their problems. Yeah, it's amazing. Beethoven is like, it's truly a patron saint for all. If you have a hard time, just put, put a recording of Beethoven and just enjoy it. I mean, what's going to be wrong about it? It's, everything is going to be fine. Well, I'm just going to reiterate, if anybody's having trouble, I, I do have my big, long playlist that's got, it starts with Beethoven. It's got a couple of the models in it. But just uh, DM, uh, traveling oboe guy or upstate guy style, DM either one of us, and we'll be happy to make recommendations for pieces and, uh, and performances. Uh, Gal, you and I have to go offline for a, for a really deep dive on music because <laughs> Adam would be like, I wish these two would just give it a rest. Um, <laughs> no, I know. Adam loves, I mean, my God, Adam is a musician and he loves music too, but I could, I could really nerd out with you, Gal. So we're going to do a serious couple of nerd, nerd talks. Uh, Adam, one hour, we're about, uh, about an hour in and uh, any, any uh, closing thoughts on this one? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, obviously I enjoy your, your Beethoven talk, but, uh, you know, for me, it's like, where's, where's the 808, man? Like, well, let's, let's get some bass in here. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, we can talk about program, um, music yeah. as well. So, uh. <laughs> but, um, you know, one thing about this conversation that is my big takeaway and I think is great, um, you know, to kind of start the year off with is, uh, redefining our idea of strength. Because uh, we we started this show of you know the the high school the the army you know idea um, that kind of stereotype that that personality that society has made um, for us and you know not a lot of us you know truly identify with that and when it comes down to it you know it, it's it's more than just physical strength um, your emotional strength needs to be there as well um, your social strength your uh, just resiliency all all kind of plays into strength and i think one of the the big things that um we can take away from from this again is uh how we define our strength and and how that makes us so we can break down that facade um that we've built up over time and show our true colors and and that is real strength so gal i am so happy that you you shared your your story here i know it was really tough um but like you said, um, we're, we're all brothers here and we're sticking, sticking up for each other. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Any last words you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yes. I think like I made, I wrote it down. Um, whenever you feel down, it, it's fine. Just embrace it. Embrace that you're in a low point. And like one of the stories that Adam had like a few days ago, get up, show up, dress up, just do it. Get out of the house, go for a walk, um, do some sports, whatever. Just don't be alone with yourself, with your thoughts, because that's really destructive. Be with someone, just do something that helps. Talk to someone, please. If you feel like you have no one to talk to, talk to me. DM me on Instagram, feel free, just do it. Like one of the um, quotes from Peaky Blinders that I remember is that men need to talk to. So, so do it. Just don't be afraid of what people would say because people can be horrible. It's true. 
but then you find someone like Albert and you Adam and just like wow it's so good to talk about these things with people who are strangers for you this way they don't stay uh, strangers and just do something don't stay at home don't drink drinking is right it's okay when when you can just enjoying yourself but don't drink to get drunk it it, it doesn't worth it you will get through your difficulties and just be strong because i know you are and once again just talk to people definitely and if if anyone's been down that road before they know um what, how hard it is for someone to reach out and they also know how important it is uh for someone to to offer their support so thank you so much man This has been another episode of the Fear, Vulnerabilis Fear podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Gal Mendel. Thank you for listening.